baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. You've seen the headlines and the numbers, and Cook County Sheriff Tom Dart's been on this program enough saying that the county jail is one of the biggest mental health facilities in the nation, if not the biggest. It's not just a problem. That's also a symptom of a bigger problem. Too many people with mental illness are dealt with by our court system instead of some other way. Well, this weekend, among other things, we're going to ask leading advocates to show us another way. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. This is Mental Health Awareness Month, and among many topics that we could explore about mental health, the intersection between mental illness and the criminal justice system is pretty urgent. Uh, Earlier this month, the National Alliance on Mental Illness, or NAMI Chicago, outlined some ideas for diverting people with mental problems away from the jails. Well, we're going to talk about that and more during this half hour. Joining me via Zoom conferencing, first is Alexa James. She is Chief Operating Officer for NAMI Chicago. She has served as Executive Director of the organization since 2014. She is a clinical social worker by profession, and she is a leading voice on issues of mental health by her actions. Uh, also with us is Jen mcgowan Tomke, NAMI Chicago's Chief Operating Officer. She leads the advocacy for legislation when it's needed and works with NAMI state grant programs, as well as running the group's day-to-day operations. And thank you both for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Alexa James, first, tell us a little bit about NAMI Chicago and its mission. Sure, I'm always happy to. In fact, when you were talking through our bios, I just thought to myself how grateful we are to be able to work in this space of mental health advocacy, especially during a time when people are finally listening, Um, right? So NAMI Chicago frames itself as an advocacy organization um, run by the voices of those who have experienced the mental health system, which unfortunately was built in a way that is not really conducive for healing. Now, over the years, of course, the system has adjusted and changed. We have incredible partners and amazing providers. But the real misunderstanding comes from, and the real error comes from not really knowing how people heal, what wellness means, and kind of taking away this medical model from a very complicated state of being, which is our overall mental health. Um, We have a helpline. We 
you know, almost tens of thousands of callers are calling us every year asking for support, really trying to navigate the system. I mean, we exist because it's so hard to navigate. We do a tremendous amount of training and outside counsel with stakeholders, including city agencies who are requiring mental health support. Um, and we move people out of um, treatment facilities where they've been living for many, many years into independent living. So it's a very comprehensive group. We've grown substantially. Um, and we are very proud to be in the space of being the, the, you know, providing the narration for what we think mental health is, which is not a deficit. You know, and uh, Jen McGowan Tomke, uh, um, as Alexa James said, this is more than advocacy. It's a lot of action. How do you, how do you meld the two? How you know you you've got a if you if all you did were program things. That could be full time, but you've also got to be an advocate. And I know you have to do some of that uh, when it comes to lawmakers. That's right, Craig. As Alexa mentioned, you know, NAMI Chicago runs a helpline. We run programs. The, the important piece of that is we interact with people within this system every day. Um, and we are guided by those voices. We're guided by those experiences. And so it offers us a really important and unique opportunity to um, bridge those stories and the personal advocacy that we do with people around navigating the mental health system to what is the bigger picture? What are the policy solutions? What are the changes that need to be made in this system? How do we justify them? How do we talk about them? And how do we push for those sometimes legislative solutions and funding solutions that really move this system forward? Um, so it's a really important blend, as you mentioned, of um, understanding the personal experience and, and bringing that to a policy advocacy space. Well, and we're going to uh, talk about that and we're going to get to that legislative and, and funding part. But I want to start from the very beginning. Uh, let's talk about the problem with the criminal justice system. I mean, people in mental health crises are encountering the police and the courts every day. Um, uh, tell me what is going wrong and how bad it's gotten. I mean, there is so much complexity and at the same time, it's so simple. We have neglected mental health care, mental health access, particularly in communities, black and brown communities for always um, and really not met people where they were in terms of the support that they needed. And thus, 911 in Chicago becomes the central intake system, the central mental health intake system. Mental health conditions are not crisis oriented, actually. They're really not. They're not by nature acute. They become acute with a very small percentage just because of the nature of the illness or because they've been neglected or exacerbated by lack of housing, poverty, racial injustice, et cetera. And so you are now, what we have seen over and over again, and what NAMI has participated in the last 16 years is trying to at least divert on the front end, um, which isn't really the front end, and we can talk more about that later, but at least provide law enforcement, first responders, 911 call takers, the fire department, the opportunity to exercise um, discretion in understanding that the motivation of a behavior is due to crimes of survival or mental illness or trauma or fear of the police, right? All of these things, and what do we do? So the police have a robust training and they're doing this job really well every day. That's not typically the police headline in Chicago and we know that, but it really should be in many ways. The challenge of course is where then do they go? 
where do people go then who are connected through the police in a mental health emergency? And what we're finding is that's an issue. And oftentimes people become engaged in what we call the criminal court system. Amy Campanelli taught us a long time ago that we can't really call it the criminal justice system yet. <laughs> and so we call it the criminal court system. They become engaged in that because in many ways, and Jen can speak more to this, really their only opportunity for treatment. Uh, nobody else knows what to do. It's a bit of passing the buck of spend. Um, and it has become acceptable in, in, many, um, in many audiences. You know, that is something that I, I do want to explore for a minute. I don't want to go too far into it because we have a lot to talk about, about the justice system or the, yes, the court system. Um, but uh, Jen, let's talk about what really is the, uh, the, the, the front end. And that is before people get to a crisis that, I mean, are there enough resources? Is there enough outreach to catch people before they get to the crisis. I mean, because that's part of where the problem is, right? Absolutely. And, you know, the crisis system that we have now is just one version of a crisis system and not really a system. Um, so it, it's, it's, I think, really important to know what leads up to that, um, but also to acknowledge that we have a very um, thin picture of what crisis support looks like, but it's not supposed to be the centerpiece of the mental health system, right? Um, the, the pieces before this phase or this experience are access to housing, our um, stable supports, our community and access to community. Um, and if for, in many cases, access to treatment for mental health conditions and physical health conditions and getting our health met, needs met. Um, so we do um, have challenges, resource challenges within the system to make sure that people have access to those services, but particularly things like housing. Um, and we know that this is an, a really important factor in stability, in recovery um, for people. And we have to acknowledge the way the other pieces of the social service system fit into our ability to be well um, as a community. Go, go ahead, Alex. And I want to I talk about one of the significant collateral damages, not only from a human perspective. We know this isn't the way we should be treating people that we love. This is not the human intervention for mental health conditions. But here's the huge, a really big problem also that people don't talk about. When we put first responders in the position of being the clinicians, when we put them in a position where they are the ones to de-escalate, we are putting them at a deficit immediately because you are putting somebody who makes most people nervous in front of somebody who's already anxious. We are setting up a system that's already set for potential tragedy. The other thing is too, we are putting police in a position where they are only seeing sick people, very, very sick people who are potentially um, having the worst moment of their life. And so that is the scope that our first responders are seeing as mental illness or mental health, which is very damaging. When you start to see, when you articulate a, a population or a health issue is only acute, as only combative or difficult or problematic or takes too long. It also lessens the opportunity for the police and the communities to heal. And it tells police that this is what mental illness looks like. So if I'm having issues, I don't look like this and I'm not going to seek treatment. It really creates a significant level of stigma. Yeah. And this is more than just a, a problem of stigma or frankly, even uh, it, because frankly, this is how a number of people suffering from mental illness end up, frankly, being killed. 
Um, and I know that, uh, that NAMI Chicago has been working with the city of Chicago, among others, uh, trying to deal with this. But how can you deal with you? I mean, you just set up the police. Their only perception of people with mental illness is at the heightened, you know, at the one end of the scale. How can you deal with that? Well, their exposure is from a professional perspective, right? And I'm going to ask you to get a little closer to the microphone. Um, So their, their exposure in community to people living with serious mental illness is the most acute. And so that is exactly what NAMI has done, is we have brought the voice of people who are living with serious mental illnesses to stand in front of police and say, today I'm not in a position where I need to be emergent, uh, you know, um, transported to a hospital, but I have been before. And this has been my experience with police. This has been my experience in the system. This was my experience at Cook County Jail. And so it, it normalizes and it really humanizes the experience and it makes police um, more effective responders when you break down that barrier too. Um, but, but, but we need police as part of the crisis system, as Jen said, but they are not where we should start what we need to think about is that prevention piece and access. And also how, Craig, like how do people wanna consume mental health services? And that is um, changes based on demographic, culture, race, ethnicity. You know, people wanna heal in different ways and we need to be more innovative and less based on what the reimbursement rate looks like. Some people who say they wanna defund the police, what they really mean is, better fund alternatives is is money <laughs> is money the major thing that is uh keeping us from doing it the right way i suspect not but uh it what is it, it's certainly not the only thing um what we know is we have we actually have great resources within this system of providers of um supports of people with lived experience and um in addition to resources, it's about coordinating those systems. I mean, the, the, the piece of this picture, what we've been talking about is the crisis system. And the connection here is that many people who cycle in and out of the crisis system or the court system or hospitalizations end up in, in jail, end up in state-operated hospitals, and end up in a really um, you know, restrictive setting once they're very, very sick. And so those two things are what's the, the piece that's connected here. We have to understand that part of it is about getting people to the right place. Part of it is about making sure we actually have a prevention-oriented system. But part of it is about understanding where our challenges are within the system and reframing and really reorienting in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's not the cost part because somebody will steal a candy bar in a full psychotic episode. And you look at the costs of the court system, of all of that stuff, and it's millions of dollars. Think about what we could have done if we reallocated that money into housing, supportive services, et cetera. So there's cash. We're just, we've decided how to spend it in a way that I don't think matches all the priorities of um, the mental health system. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I am Craig Delamore. We are talking about mental illness and the court system. My guests are from the National Alliance on Mental Illness Chicago, NAMI Chicago. Alexa James is the CEO. Jan McGowan-Tomke is the chief operating officer. And coincidentally, we are talking via Zoom and recording this on Mental Health Action Day. Uh, so, 
So and that's just the luck of the draw. That, uh, the, but uh, let's talk about the plan that NAMI Chicago has crafted because you are addressing this issue directly. Uh, so take me through what, uh, what you want us to do. So I, there are a lot of opportunities within the um, intersection of mental health and the criminal court system. And some of the things that we have, we want to elevate in this discussion are the ways that we can reorient or transform form the system. Um, and this is around things like moving from a system that emphasizes punishment to a system that emphasizes recovery for people who are experiencing crisis and system exacerbation for a health issue. Um, it's also about increasing transparency in the system that is often very opaque and um, makes it hard, frankly, to understand from an accountability perspective. But there's also laws and statutes here that are um, frankly discriminatory against people with mental health conditions where they spend more time in the court system because they pled guilty related to their mental health condition versus pleading guilty without that. And so we really need to take a critical lens to are we um, are, are we investing in the right ways in people's health and people's wellness and quality of life? Or are we living in a legacy system that really put fear and punishment first? And can we do better? And let me, I want to go through some of this step, a step at a time. And the first part is to hear someone say, refocus the mental health system from punishment to recovery. It's the mental health system. That sounds like something that that's all it should be about. Is, is the, and I know, Alexa, you said this at the very beginning. But is the system really not even designed to, to make people better? No, Craig, you're going to get me in trouble for questions like that. Um, I think that people have reformed on their own. I do think that we have, the, the system was created to house and to isolate people who we were afraid of and didn't understand. I think we have not spent a lot of time understanding mental illness and the brain and genetics and treatment. You see that in our pharmaceutical companies. There's not a lot of investment made, for example, in new pharmaceutical medications for mental health conditions because there's other health priorities that are prioritized, right? Um, one is not, not um, more important than the other. The, the difference is mental health is integrated in everything else. Um, your mental health is impacted all the time, every day, by quality of relationships, by stability, by financial health, everything. And that is a system that we didn't build for. We built for people with serious mental illnesses who um, we didn't believe could live fully functional lives. And because of that, we have created systems that are, frankly, discriminatory and are some of the only places in the world where you can actually lock someone up, a psychiatric hospital and, the jail, and a jail. Now I'm not arguing with the motivation there. I'm arguing with the fact that we haven't thought about mental health conditions as a physical health condition. We haven't given people the opportunity to show us and to um, in, engage in a recovery system because really there isn't one that's integrated enough to engage in at this, at this moment. How much of that has to do with the remnant remnants of the stigma 
of mental illness still being around. I mean, to some degree, we hear people talking about seeing their analyst and talking and getting help more than we ever did before. But it still seems that the acknowledgement that mental problems can occur for anybody, even during this pandemic, you know, we've heard more talk about it, but is it still a stigma that keeps it being a problem of isolation rather than one of people simply getting help along the way? In this system, it's a uh, it's sort of institutional stigma, right? That the structures that have been created um, contribute to um, what we think mental health crisis looks like and what we think, you know, people who are involved in the court system because of their mental health condition look like. Um, and so I, I, I think it's really important that we acknowledge that our feelings around stigma are changing. And so much of that is because people talk about their stories. It's hugely important. Um, but we need to catch up. The rest, of the, the rest of the pieces of the system need to catch up to that understanding. And, and we have to acknowledge that, I think, publicly, right, that we understand that mental health and mental health conditions are not something to hide. And so what does that mean for the other people in our communities and people who are um, sometimes caught up in these systems. You say in one of your uh, uh, proposals to train court stakeholders on more on mental health and dealing with it and, and diverting people. First off, who are the stakeholders you're talking about and, and what power do they have to change the trajectory of people who have come into the system? Yeah, from the court perspective, it's um, folks like the public defenders, it's folks like the state's attorney's offices that make decisions on charges and how um, and whether, you know, we're going to assess someone's fitness in a case. And it's not to say that they aren't, um, you know, really trying to be innovative here. Um, I think that we do generally have the support to treat people with mental health conditions differently. Um, there needs to be strong understanding of what the options are, what diversion actually looks like, and how someone can be supported in that place, setting up the, the structures to be able to do that. And, you know, to, to understand some of the um, implications that come with moving all the way through the court system as someone who's been found unfit to stand trial, right? What does that mean for them? I think there's some information sharing, some knowledge sharing that can happen here that would just provide a better um, basis for understanding this system. But I do think that we have um, some really important buy-in from stakeholders who, who want to see this done differently. Go ahead, Alexa. I was, I, I was going to say, I think that there's been a, a, a shift in terms of progress. Ten years ago, I would talk to Tom Dart and he would say, we actually try not to even say that our arrestees have mental illness because the sentencing or the bond would be higher. Right. So, so we've made shifts. However, the fear that judges are, and, and state's attorneys and public defenders throughout the state, I mean, this is not just a Cook County issue at all, are experiencing is they are afraid of liability in terms of this. And that's stigma. That's a complete misunderstanding and myth around people with a mental health condition, um, which are far more likely to be a victim of violence than a perpetrator. So that's the institutional, um, I, I think, stigma that continues to um, exist within the professionals that are implementing policies and practices. Hmm. Uh do you, what encourages you besides uh, Tom Dart, who, you know, has been one of the more outspoken people about the need for a, a new way of doing things? What encourages you about as you move forward? I, I'm encouraged 
encouraged by um, our, uh, some of our partners who are talking the same about this system. I'm encouraged by um, advocates who are really um, focused on, on uh, making some changes here. Um, one part of the system is um, implemented by the state. We've talked about, you know, the city and our municipalities and their and uh, law enforcement, counties and jails, but the state hospital system is run by the state. And I think that um, there are some encouraging uh, perspectives on what we need to fund, more outpatient services versus inpatient services when they're appropriate. Um, so those things are really encouraging to me. I think that we need to um, double down and make sure that we can make real progress in this system um, where we know there are solutions available to us. Now, when we are talking about people knowing what things should be funded, that is very different from actually funding them. Uh, as someone who has covered the Illinois legislature for a long time, uh, and how expensive is it going to be to do it right? And where will we get the money to change a system that has been built wrong? Well, I think it's more expensive to do it wrong. I think that we're, um, you know, as Alexa mentioned, we're, um, you know, it, we're spending a lot on systems that are really, um, really expensive. Um, there are, within the system, there are people who could be treated in different settings, less expensive settings right now um, that may be in a state hospital because of their charge, because of how um, their court case is going and we and should be assessed to be to be treated in the community. And they can be under state statute right now. Um, so, you know, I think that um, there is an investment needed here uh, and it's really on the prevention side. So it's not just about um, what does the court system need to spend or what do the state hospitals need to spend? But a pri it needs to be a priority of the legislature, right, to fund housing and to fund um, services and mental health services that help meet these needs initially. And I think that there is, um, you know, there are some encouraging things happening there, too, about the understanding that we need to, to be able to support those systems. Uh, Alexa James, who is listening? You, you, you were glad people are listening, but... Who is listening who really matters right now? Who really matters right now are the hundreds of thousands of people throughout this country who are sitting in um, the Department of Corrections who are living with the mental health conditions and literally couldn't be in a more um, problematic space. Um, isolated, um, not understood, thrown outside of their community, med adjustment gone wrong, all of these things lost in the system. Um, and then the people who are leaving. If you didn't walk in with a mental health issue, you are absolutely walking out with trauma, anxiety, fear, potentially, right? So the most important people are those who are informing us every day on our helpline, et cetera, about what they're going through and how we can help them. And we lean on legislators, but we also take a lot of action and responsibility in what we need to do to present solutions because it is an overwhelming feat to bring to you know, a director of a state agency or a legislator, um, and we want to be helpful partners in that. And I think that being informed by um, lived experience is our best practice, and we hope to continue. We just hope to hear less voices who are stuck in this really unbelievably tragic system. Are you finding anyone in Springfield, a city or county government willing to spearhead this effort? 
Yeah, Jen can speak to that. I mean, I think that's what was remarkable about this effort is nobody turned away, um, but she can certainly speak to those people. We're, I'm grateful to have had a really good conversations, particularly with the um, Illinois Department of Human Services, the Division of Mental Health and their leadership um, who understand and are really, um, you know, kind of responsible, right, for leading the state hospital effort. Um, I think we're very aligned in the vision that we need to see. And they, there is the opportunity to make more progress now than we ever have before um, with good leadership and with a different level of buy-in. So if you, what's the next, and we only have about 30 seconds left, what's the next step in getting this to become reality? We have to keep pushing and elevating those voices. I mean, there are actual people within the system that need to be treated differently. Um, and so we need to see some of the programmatic changes, some of the of funding initiatives that um, need to be completed to really move from that um, very inpatient system to an opportunity for people to be in the community when they can. Um, and we also need, um, we need other people to raise their voices and say, we have to treat the system differently. And for families who are listening who are experiencing this, which are many of you, please know that our helpline, which is free and available seven days a week, is here to help case manage these issues, support you, the loved ones that are always lost in this conversation, um, as we, you know, case by case, try to reform these issues. Okay, well, thank you very much. That's going to be the final word. I would like to thank CEO Alexa James and Chief Operating Officer Jen McGowan Tomkey of NAMI Chicago for spending this half hour with us. To our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at wbbmnewsradio.com. There should be a link a little ways down the homepage. Also, you can find our podcasts on odyssey.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 